0: That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This is Ion Veterans Weekend, a roundup of the week's most important stories
1: affecting those who served. Presented by University of Maryland Global Campus.
0: There are nearly 20 million million military military veterans veterans in in the the US. U.S. Each week, we focus on their stories
2: powered by connectingvets.com
0: This this is CBS Ion Veterans Ion Veterans
3: Welcome to another edition of CBS Ion Veterans I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs Ion Veterans is a weekly program focused on the men and women who have served our nation in uniform and their families We're powered by connectingvets.com always a great place to find military news veteran news resources and stories about the veteran lifestyle so it's been seven or eight weeks now of wearing sweatpants here at Eye on Veterans. And over the course of those weeks, we've talked all about the coronavirus. We spoke about infection rates with an ER doctor and an Army veteran in New Jersey. We talked about PPE shortages with a nurse at Walter Reed National Medical Center. And we even spoke with a 66-year-old veteran who contracted the virus and then recovered. But now as we roll into the eighth or ninth week of this uncertainty, states are trying to determine when to start reopening. But some veterans are sick of waiting. And I recently received a link to a newscast from KOMO News 4, an ABC affiliate in Seattle, Washington. The report, which aired on May 6th, focused on the Stag Barbershop. And it sounded like this.
0: The Stag barbershop reopened last week. Como Steve McCarron went to the state for some answers. And Steve, complaints have been filed about this barbershop? They have. And so many viewers, Mary, have asked us why the state hasn't stepped in to force that barbershop to close, claiming the shop is putting lives at risk by reopening. The shop's owner says despite hundreds of people dying from the virus in Washington, he doesn't believe it is real. He actually thinks more people will suffer from not being able to pay their bills. The report went on to speak with customers. He just seems like a, a normal person who's,
3: who's just uh, wants to keep his business open, wants to keep his food on his table. And it spoke with people who were unhappy that the business was open.
1: It doesn't make any sense for people to put themselves at risk and to put other people at risk.
3: And it even quoted a representative from the governor's office, David Postman.
1: The
4: message to, to that business and other businesses, as, as you mentioned, is uh, don't do this. It's, it's not in anybody's interest. You could uh, leave people to get sick.
1: Uh, some of those
4: people could infect people who could die.
3: But what the newscast didn't include was an interview with the barbershop owner, Bob Martin, who's a Marine Corps veteran. So this week, I reached out to Bob. And we talked about why he's committed to keeping his doors open. Walk me through what the last couple weeks have been like.
1: Well, there's a lot of support for, for going against what the governor's trying to do here. And then it, and, and there's a lot of opposition to what the science is behind the, all of this. You know, uh, it's it's very nefarious. And uh, there's something rotten in Denmark with this whole thing. Nobody's believing what the news is trying to cram down our throat all these deaths and all of all this stuff being something different than what normal deaths would be and where people getting paid in hospitals are getting paid to say that somebody died of a, of a virus when that wasn't the virus at all. It's drugs or some other thing, just old age or body wore out or pneumonia. It has nothing to do with the, the virus. And uh, they're making a mountain out of a molehill. So nobody believes this crap out here. There's many, many, many people that came to support the feeling that I had about this and uh, it's just that it's not legitimate. It doesn't seem legitimate. And, and we have no faith in Bill Gates, Fauci, and these other people involved. Bill Gates reminds me of, a, of an arsonist that starts a fire. He sits back and watches the thing burn. And he wants to come out there, close it down, put the fire out. He wants to walk away as a hero. He's not a hero. He's starting a problem. He's just, I see him as a very evil person. He's a eugenicist. His father is a eugenicist. They believe there's too many people in the world who want to kill him. And what kind of a nice guy is going to do that?
3: Let me ask you then. So did you never shut down or you were shut down for about
1: 30 days? No, and no then, I, was, and I then... was closed for at least 30 days. Uh, and watching the news very closely, and it got difficult to pay the rent. I used my social security check to pay the rent. And that only covered half of the overhead. So and not believing what was going on. A lot of people are, you know, they're afraid they're going to die. They're afraid they're going to die. And, uh, uh Everybody's going to die sometime anyway. If you duck a you let in the Marine Corps, don't talk to me about dying. I know what dying is about. And this is a bunch of bull****. And I wasn't going to listen to this moron that we have for a governor. He's just an idiot. And the money behind him is gates. He's got a lot of money. That doesn't mean he's smart. He's just a, a rich idiot. So that's the end of the story for me.
2: Mm.
3: Are you near, is your shop, uh, is your barbershop near what a lot of America kind of viewed as the epicenter of this coronavirus outbreak?
1: Oh, I don't know. They could talk about these epicenters, epicenters, epicenters. I'm not paying much attention to what they claim, but the mainstream media is a bunch of garbage. Can't believe all that crap. I have one of the guys that works with me said that his aunt died of cancer, been fighting cancer for a long time. I think they've claimed that she died of COVID. And they're suing the hospital I would like to see all the doctors that signed off and said people died of COVID. I want to see the science behind that. And I want to see where the money's going, where it's coming from. Uh, this whole thing stinks right from the get-go. I know that there's a lot of issues with World Banks and the Federal Reserve and all that. A lot of money's gone. Look at France. A lot of this has to do with money, 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 money. And they've stolen all the retirement funds all around the world for everybody's retirement. So there's, there's a lot more to it than just this COVID thing. Something stinks, and then with the Chinese thing, uh, you know they hold a lot of our stuff over there. And, uh, uh, we should be uh, sending all that stuff over there to to be manufactured with cheap slave labor, basically. And uh, so there's just a lot going on. It isn't just about this COVID thing. They're using that as a catalyst. All I did was light the match, and I said, "Up here, is, I'm not going to do this." And then everybody jumped on board. Said, "Yeah, we're with you, bud." And
3: so, Just a few seconds ago, you referenced the Marine Corps there, and uh, you said you know you've seen death, you've, or rather, you've seen danger, you've seen some things before. Tell me a little bit about your service.
1: I was in the, the Marines from 1960 to 1966. I was my first duty station was in Kodiak, Alaska. It was a naval air station at the time, it was anti-submarine, basically, and that's where I started the, the barbering. I had a sergeant up there, awesome guy, I really loved him. He said, Martin, do you ever cut hair?" Well, I cut my brother's hair one time. He said, Okay, you be the barber. You can be the barber. You can go hunting the fishing on the weekends. He liked me and I liked him. <laughs> so cool. I was in the headquarters section then. I got back to the line company, which is Camp Pendleton, California. And we trained, 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 trained. I remember before Vietnam, we had to go. Actually, we sent people over there as advisors and called them. That was the beginning of smelling something going on. They gave us rice, eight ounces of rice, and four ounces of raisins. And we had to live on that up at a place called Spicasey Springs. And it was uh, a way to try to figure out how if you could survive on rice. And then they came around after about a week. and Everybody got to have an orange. (laughs) Anyway, that was an interesting time. But uh, shortly after that, I went down to uh, Cuba to take the missiles out. That was in 62, November 62. And uh, uh, it was uh, kind of a harrowing thing to see an awesome fleet down there with airplanes, ships, submarines. So I was on an APA called the Renville, and it's a troop ship, and we we stopped at a couple places to just wait to gear up to figure out what we're going to do. We took 28 missiles, ICBMs, off of Cuba, and uh, we didn't realize till afterwards that, that there's 10 more anti-personnel missiles that, that we didn't even know about, because that uh, U-2 didn't have pictures of everything. So it was pretty intense. John Kennedy uh, was going head-to-head with the Kia cruise ship became a power in trouble, and uh, it, it got ironed out, come back home again. And then uh, I got out, I went to college, I thought I wanted to be a, go back as an officer. And uh, changed my mind, I started cutting hair because it's something I was familiar with from Alaska. And I wanted to finish my way through college with the GI Bill and what money I could make on the side. And I decided that, that I liked doing what I did because it made people happy.
3: I loved you sharing that snapshot of your service because that is so parallel to kind of what's going on now. There was a time in our nation when the government was saying one thing, and maybe something else was kind of going down, and you were there on the front lines and saw what the Bay of Pigs, saw what the Cuban Missile Crisis was really all about. Maybe yeah. this time, this scary time we're in now, although it's not war related, it's COVID related. The government saying this
1: is a war. This is a war. make, make it clear, it is a war. We're fighting to say we're a constitution or a bill of rights.
3: So, just how do we respect our constitutional rights while still respecting science? We'll talk about that with an Army veteran who's leading the charge to reopen America in Nevada when CBS Ion on Veterans returns. Welcome back to CBS Ion on Veterans. I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Now, we're going to continue our conversation with veterans about moving forward in this coronavirus era. And joining me from the great state of Nevada is an Army combat veteran, a former PSYOP team member, now a warfighter rights activist, and author of the new book, Call Sign Voodoo. And I'd like to also say a friend of mine who I've worked with before, the notable and always quotable Boone Cutler. Boone, how the hell are you?
5: Phil, what's shaking, brother, man? Thanks for having me on.
3: Indeed. Indeed. And you know, the last segment we did was with a gentleman, a Marine Corps veteran um, in the Seattle area, Washington state, and he didn't close down his barber shop. He says he kind of questioned the science behind it, but even so much as after 30 days, he said, look, I can't, I, I just can't sit on the sidelines anymore. And I got a feeling he's a kindred spirit of yours. Talk to me a little bit about kind of where you are right now and what's going on in Nevada.
5: Well, where I'm at right now is, is trying to recover. I mean, even myself and my own family, because, you know, when this whole thing came out, I, I mean, I saw three things. I saw something that was imminent, ominous, and overwhelming. And those are, those are three things you pack into a PSYOP campaign many times. But then I see the whole thing happening all around the world. Because at first, if I just saw imminent, ominous, and overwhelming, I would be like, okay, there's the PSYOP campaign. There's some kind of disinformation happening here. It's not what it seems. But then I was like, well, who could do that to the whole world? The whole world. Every government across the planet was affected. Who has that much control? I was like, there's nobody that has that much control. It, it just, it, there's not a, I don't believe there's an Illuminati that can just pull strings and make things happen. So I was, I was totally on board. I walked down my family, and we went like, we like CON 90 on the whole thing. Like, I wouldn't let let packages or mail come into the house until it waited outside. Like, we had like a holding area, a 72 hour holding area in the garage. Uh, We didn't leave the house at all. Uh, I mean, literally, we we took this thing up to as high as it it could go because it just really seemed like it was something that was really, really, really going to come down hard and, and, and it was imperative as a father and a husband to protect my family mm-hmm. and and I got consumed with that and then we start hearing this other stuff about how uh, it, it just all of a sudden the numbers weren't going high and the curve was flattened and it was it was it was trending downward but yet the curve flattened and it was trending downward but people people were still Kind of going, you know, getting pretty intense about the thing. And then we started looking at it a little bit deeper, and it's like, okay, wait a minute. There's a lot of hype, but then there's not anything to support it. What is supporting it in the United States is they're picking on, you know, they're picking states, New York, Pennsylvania, other places that have had really hardcore hot spots, and they're transposing those conditions on every county in every state across the country, which is totally unreasonable. I live in Reno. We don't have a COVID problem here. We've got plenty of resources. It's, I mean, we're, we're good to go. I talk to other people across the country and they're like, same for me, same for me, same. If I talk to 50 people, there might be four that goes, no, it's really bad where I'm at. But everybody else is like, okay, the curve is flattened. The trend is down. Why the hell isn't everybody back to work? If that's the reason we have to stay home, if it doesn't exist, then we need to get out and we need to work. Now, regardless of what people feel about the coronavirus and COVID, nobody, nobody has the constitutional right to make the American people do what they're doing right now. They just don't. So that's the other side of it. So I was willing to forego some of my, some of my rights as an American to save my family in a short-term period of time because I thought it was for the greater good. But now that time period is over
3: it's not that you disagree with the science. It's not that you're disputing some of the hot spots. It's not that you're disputing that any of this never happened and that we're talking like fake moon landing crap here. I mean, you agree that like there has been a serious medical issue in certain areas. You just think that, Hey, you shouldn't have to take the same hard medicine.
5: No, I think everybody should always do as much as they can. I think that's just the rule in life. So, if you live in New York City, well, you should do as much as you can. Now, the threshold might be lower than what doing the most you can in Reno is because we don't have an issue here. People should be working. The Tesla factory should be, the Giga factory for Tesla should be open. Um, You know, all these, all the industries should be open. I mean, even the casinos. You don't see people in casinos literally sitting next to each other at slot machines. They kind of spread out. Okay, so you make it so you have to be on every third slot machine. Why close down the whole damn casino? It doesn't make any sense. It just does not make logical sense to treat every place in the country like it is the worst place in the country.
3: Now, I've seen some of your posts, and in fact, uh, the Facebook page recently popped up on my feed, Reopen America HQ, and it says, Going to work is now an essential act of civil disobedience. Fight back. Going to work is essential. Stop asking for permission. Isn't it a danger to kind of incite people to break the rules, if not the law?
5: Well, okay, what is the law? am I asking people to break the law or am I asking people to not let themselves be inflicted by broken laws? Because the truth of the matter is, you can't make everybody stay home. You can't tell people that they can't go to church. I mean, you could tell them that, but they don't have to do it because this is the United States. And so what I'm saying, and it's not just me, I mean, this was across, we had thousands of people, and at the Capitol, there, was, there were people from all over Nevada. There were people that drove all the way up from Vegas just so they could march on the, on the state Capitol. And they did. And they said, you know what? As a matter of fact, we're not asking permission. We're just going back to work. You can do what you got to do, but we're going to do what we got to do because we got to feed our families. We just have to feed our families. And we're not having a COVID problem here. The majority of people that complied to this did so upon their own volition to help their family well the same the same principle applies you continue to help your family the conditions have changed there is no longer something imminent ominous and overwhelming there is something that says hey I need to make an income or I can't feed my kids it's about being responsible as an American
3: what do you say to those that are like, well, you're just being selfish, Boone. What if you what if you did what if you were asymptomatic and you picked it up, uh, you know, on a sketchy doorknob and then you infected 10 other people?
5: I, I say this to them. First of all, I think we all need to understand that there are people out there that, who are still in the same you know, condition I was in when this thing first broke and made the news and, and they're scared. They're scared, they're concerned, they're not mean people, they're not cruel people, they're not idiots, they're not people that don't love America. They're just people that are scared and they they're still on that track. And you're probably not gonna take a lot of them off of that track. So you gotta let them be them. And and I wouldn't ridicule them, I wouldn't put them down because these are just scared people. And so and that's a human response. They come from different backgrounds and Maybe you do, or I do, and they, they're not adjusting to the situation because they're overwhelmed by fear. So we, we have to give compassion to these people. We, we really shouldn't be ostracizing them. At the same time, we got to do what we got to do. And there is a whole bigger thing brewing out there. You know, there internationally. We're, you know, we can go into the, the geopolitics of the whole thing. And there are a lot of people out there saying, "Hey, here's the deal. There's going to be a big brouhaha." There's gonna be a big war, and whoever gets their economy up the fastest and the biggest, that's who the winner is gonna be. If we extrapolate this thing out,
3: yeah, and we could probably do another hour on just that topic alone, right there. I mean, all the different other layers, and I'm not talking pandemic or any of that BS. But you know, the fact that there's, yeah, you know, look, there's always a little more to the story than any of us really ever get. And uh, I always love the fact that you can pick some of that out. Hey, talk to me before we get out of here. Uh, you have a book coming out.
5: Well, I've got uh, three books coming out. One is Call Sign Voodoo. That's going to be first, and it's talking about my side and things that were happening in Iraq. Then comes out Opera, which is the follow-up to Call Sign Voodoo, which just is not the American side, but we flip the, the chessboard around, and we see everything from the enemy's side. That's going to be very interesting. And we've got Boone Cutler Protocols that's coming out, and that's specifically for warfighters and health issues.
3: Very cool. Boone Cutler, always appreciate you, man. Keep up the good work. Keep up the good fight. Let's touch base again in a couple more weeks. If America hasn't fully got back to work, I need you to come back here and tell me what we can do. All the way, brother. And we'll be right back with more on CBS Ion Veterans. Welcome back to CBS Ion Veterans. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. And now, this next segment is interesting, I think, to all military veterans. Because let's face it, we've answered the call and fought against evil and insane leaders around the world throughout history. We fought Hitler, Saddam Hussein. In more recent years, Osama bin Laden, al Baghdadi, al Zakari. I can't even say that. Iran's very own evil general, Qassam Soleimani. Whether we smoked them in battle or they killed themselves because there was no escape, every one of those leaders was absolutely insane. But who are the craziest fools to ever lead a country? In this next segment, Scott Rank, host of the podcast History Unplugged and author, is going to share with us who the most crazy leaders through the history of the world have been and who took Psychotic to a whole different level. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Phil. Great to be here. Let's talk about your book, History's Nine Most Insane Rulers. Uh, Couldn't help but be compelled by the book title, but tell me what inspired you to write it.
4: Well, in the last few years, a lot of people have been talking about our politicians. Are they more insane than they've ever been? And I think with the 2020 election, you'll hear more about this, where people on the right might say, Joe Biden has dementia, or people on the left will say, Donald Trump has narcissistic personality disorder. Well, whatever's going on with those two, like you said in your intro, they the most insane rulers in history are in a completely different galaxy. I mean, imagine if Joe Exotic from Tiger King were your president. <laughs> and the thing is, we have a lot of Joe Exotics in the past who are kings or emperors. One guy made an 80-foot tall golden statue of himself that always rotated to face the sun. So the idea was to look at if Joe Exotic is your emperor, what is it like to live under that? And how do you survive in that situation? So there's a little bit of a warning of, is a Joe Exotic taking power in your country? But at least in our situation, it's a call to calm down because I get it. Our politicians are a little weird right now, whether on the left or the right. But we don't have it nearly as bad as other people have in different places and times.
3: No doubt. I mean, saying crazy crap is one thing, but as you've shown in this list, there are some people out there that were just twisted. Uh, Let's look at a couple of them. First, tell me who you think is one of the craziest that you researched.
4: One of them that was my favorite, if you want to look at it that way, was a guy named Akbar Turkmenbashi. He was the guy who had the 80-foot tall statue. Uh, He was president of Turkmenistan until the mid-2000s. And he learned how to lead in the Soviet school of Joseph Stalin, you know, have statues of yourself in town squares, posters of yourself everywhere. He took it to a whole new level than even Joseph Stalin did. He renamed days of the week after himself and his dead mother. He renamed months of the year after himself. He had a Turkmenbashi branded vodka. He didn't really know how to read and write so well, but he decided, I'm going to write a book that's going to sell better than the Bible and the Quran put together. So he wrote a holy book, and he said that God appeared to him in a dream and said anyone who reads this three times is automatically going to heaven. And the weirdest thing about it is he really seemed to believe that doing these things, he was helping people. He was giving people a hero, like Batman, I guess, that they needed. Not that they deserved, but they needed. And he was helping Turkmenistan by doing these things, and he really, truly seemed to believe it. So I, I think he wins in that count. <laughs>
3: And what's crazy is it's not like a thousand years ago. You're talking like early 2000s, Turkmenistan over there in the stands, Kyrgyzstan, um, Tajikistan. I mean, there's like a whole batch of stands over on the far Afghani border, right?
4: Yeah, exactly. And he, like he said, it's good that we have someone in modern day because you read accounts of some of these people way back in the past, like Roman emperors, and think, okay, that can't be true. And this guy lived in recent times and we know it was true. And that's why I think tiger King is useful because when you watch it, you think this guy can't really exist, but we have it. We have the footage. He really does exist. And there really people are, people are out there like this. And sometimes they get power and that's what's scary about it.
3: <laughs> Let's also throw Carol Baskin in the list of people. I wouldn't want running a country either. I
4: don't, don't <laughs> yeah. Be... She killed her husband. I'm a hundred percent sure she killed her husband.
3: All right, let's go to the next. Uh, you'd mentioned it a little bit earlier, and I've always been fascinated with this chapter in history, but the Roman Empire has brought us some weird leaders. Um, Caligula, I guess all I've ever known about it is sexual deviance, but uh, he was insane on on like 10 different spectrums. Tell me about him.
4: Gross, dude. Uh, there's a movie that came out in the 70s. No one should see it. Uh, thought to have had relations with his sister. That comes from one Roman historian. Uh, the short of it is, he was powerful at a time when the during the Roman Empire. Uh, past the Ro- Roman Republic, no more democracy. Some of the early emperors are thought of being semi-divine or even gods. Caligula openly embraced this. He had temples set up for himself. He ran with godhood. He had a horse, He his favorite racehorse. He made senator. He appointed him a bunch of servants. Uh, there was an astrologer who said that, He had no more chance of being emperor than riding across this uh, gulf that was three miles across this body of water. So Caligula, to prove her wrong, basically requisitions all the boats in the Mediterranean, the boats that supply grain to Rome, sets up a three-mile-long pontoon bridge, has a bunch of dirt built over it as a road, and he rides back and forth for about one to two days constantly, uh, triggers a massive famine in the Roman Empire just to zing somebody. And, um, like George Cassanza with the jerk store episode of Seinfeld, if anyone's a fan of it, <laughs> yes. that's one of the many stories of Caligula that we could choose from. <laughs> All right. Let's switch gears now from sick and twisted to, uh,
3: we have a little bit of insanity in our own family tree. And this one was kind of surprising. Talk to me about, uh, King George who basically, uh, lost the colonies. We
4: now call the United States of America. What made him so crazy? Uh, A lot of things could have done it. Um, He's part of the British royal class, and there's always a little bit of inbreeding going on among the kings and queens in Europe there since you don't have a lot of people to choose from. Uh, Some people think he had a blood disease called porphyria. Other royals did in Europe, too. Uh, Some people think that when his doctors were trying to help him, they hurt him. They gave him arsenic, and he had like two hundred times the normal amount of arsenic in his system. Uh, whatever it was, uh, he had a, he had episodes in his life, and one of those was right after uh, the Revolutionary War, where he lost the colonies. So he would have long conversations with uh, dead relatives, dead advisors. Sometimes it seems like he was losing those arguments when people looked on. Uh, one account says that he was talking to a tree, thought it was the King of Prussia. Another time, he was trying to plant meat in the ground and thinking that it would uh, grow a meat tree when it came out. Um, But I'm going to say this uh, for George III. Um, Now, obviously, I don't believe that mental illness makes somebody a bad person, obviously. Um, Millions of people suffer with depression, PTSD. Um, Some people, it seems like their character, they come out stronger on the other end of it, like Abraham Lincoln, greatest wartime leader we had as president, and he suffered depression throughout his life george iii people said about him he never used profanity in the depths of his of his insane bouts because he personally was against it never had a mistress i mean you're practically assigned one when you're a king in uh, europe in the 1700s uh and also he he came out of his spells at different times he was a patron of the arts he said that baroque music helped him so he patronized music and funded a lot of classical musicians so you know, if there's people who you can give it to them that they weren't altogether there, but they, one could say, became better as a result of the experience. I'd say King George is up there, along with some others too. Well, in hindsight,
3: we thank him, King George. Uh, yeah. You were, uh, you were, you were a little bit, you were a little bit wacky, but um, <laughs> without uh, we got a country some, out of it. Without some of his oversight, we may never even be having this conversation in these fine United States of America. <laughs> You know, as crazy as that sounds, um, we're living in crazy days right now. And, you know, we're looking at how bad everything is and everybody's kind of like comparing this to the worst of times. And I can't believe it. It's like the Great Depression all over again. It's like the swine flu of 1918. You know what I like about history's nine most insane rulers is that it it shows us that comparatively these are not the worst of days.
4: Yeah, I agree. I mean, we've had pandemics before. We've had quarantines and you know, 50 million people died in 1918, and we're not seeing that today. So again, the
3: book is History's Nine Most Insane Rulers, available everywhere you find books. And tell me a little bit about your podcast and where I find it.
4: Yeah, History Unplugged. Go to historyunpluggedpodcast.com, and I take questions from the audience. So absolutely any question you have, military or otherwise, can be the most ridiculous thing on earth. Don't care. I will research it, and I will come back with an answer for you.
3: Really? Okay, so like anything. Tell me about one of the more provocative ones you've just done. You told me about it earlier.
4: Oh, yeah, so prostitutes from ancient times to (laughs) modern era. So prostitutes in Sumeria, prostitutes in the Middle Ages, prostitutes in Victorian times, whatever. So that was an episode, and I did it. And whatever you can think of, I'll do one.
3: That's great. Author, Scott, Rank, appreciate your time, sir. Great to have you. Thanks for having me. All right, stick around, because when we come back, we're going to talk about a World War II video game. World of Warcraft goes U.S. Navy on CBS Ion Veterans. Welcome back to CBS Eye Veterans. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. And as a Navy veteran, I'm kind of proud to talk about uh, this next segment. War gaming's military strategy video games, World of Warships and World of Tanks. And today we're talking about uh, World of Warships and all the cool stuff you can do. Destroyers, cruisers, battleships, even aircraft carriers. And uh, you get to see it from like all sides of combat. So very cool. And right now we're going to get to talk to one of the guys behind the making of the game. And that's Wargaming's Archer Placenic. Good morning, Archer. Welcome
2: to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me on, Phil.
3: Indeed. And uh, you know what? As a guy that's only played a handful of video games in my life, I have to say that I was really taken with yours. Uh, this whole World of Warships thing, it's like a combination of a video game and sort of like a history tutorial. The graphics are so cool. And as a Navy veteran myself, um, you know, I've never actually seen naval battles, except you know in the black and white films of history. Walk me through the scenarios in this particular game.
2: When you download the game, which is completely for free, by the way, you're going to be put into a a port environment where you're going to have access to a few ships at first. And you can choose those ships and then go into battle. And battle is going to be um, uh, 12 versus 12 players. So you're going to be part of a a team of 12, and you're going to fight against um, uh, either computer-controlled opponents at first to kind of just ease you into the gameplay and then you're going to progress to uh, quite quickly by like, by a, uh, a few battles you would have unlocked uh, PvP gameplay, you're going to progress to playing against uh, real opponents and then you're going to uh, you know think, try to sync them with your ship and you're, trying, you're going to try to fulfill certain objectives on the map that you're playing on and based on how well you do in that battle, you're going to Uh, obtain experience points and resources, and then you're going to go back to your port and you're going to be able to unlock um, more and more ships as you progress. Uh, And we have currently four classes of ships in the game. Uh, We have destroyers, cruisers, battleships, and aircraft carriers, because those ships kind of defined um, naval combat in the first half of the 20th century, which is the period that we portray in the game. And we're, right now we're working on adding some range as war well as the fifth and, and so uh, you're going to be able to um, unlock, I think, over 350 or close to 400 ships we have right now in the game through, uh, you know, doing different missions uh, that you will be able to fulfill in those combat engagements and uh, certain campaigns. And you can also play prescriptive scenarios in the game where we, you, you know, deep pick Um, or or, uh, try to reference uh, certain historical battles as they happen. um, And kind of this scripted scenario allows us to have a bit of control over what would happen. So that's kind of the long and short of it, Nice. how you play World of Warships.
3: Mm, So many questions. I'm dying to get to know about the historical battles that are referenced in this. Share with me some of those uh, that are in here.
2: We have a night battle in... um, In the Pacific against the Japanese forces, that is based on an actual uh, historical battle, the actual name of the battle escapes me right now. Then we have um, the uh, Dunkirk evacuation uh, of the British forces from Europe, and we have a few, I think we have around about 10 of these scenarios in the game right now.
3: Very cool. A lot of the firepower, a lot of the cool parts of uh, naval battles, if you will, um, occur sort of remotely. Like you don't always get to see it as a deckhand on a carrier. Do the graphics get to show you what the actual strikes look like, and is it all sort of like? I mean, you get the rewards of both tactically moving your ship and then visually seeing what it looks like when the bombs
2: go off. Yeah, exactly. So that that was one of the that was one of the design challenges, exactly to. Make sure that that uh, people have this feeling um, of kind of uh, seeing uh, the uh, the outcome of their actions, and not just you know doing blind fire based on coordinates. That would have been like simulation gameplay, but that's not what we were going for. We wanted to have you know a fun game, an action type naval combat game where you get to blow stuff up. So we what what we decided on doing is we gave people a kind of holistic control over the operation of a ship, um, where you still get to steer it directly with, you know, your input, your keyboard, and your mouse. And you kind of, based on that, you kind of get a feel of how sluggish, you know, a battleship can be in terms of shifting its rudder or how, how slow its, it's massive turn. Um, you do get that appreciation of what the ship would feel like in terms of, you know, operational control. And then what you can do is when you fire your guns, you can press a key and you can follow the shells, for example, and you're going to get an awesome cinematic view of you know, the shells approaching the target and then blowing it up or, or causing a of splashes around it in the water, much like you would have seen in the movies. And that's kind of what we were going for, the romantic depiction of, of combat, while keeping you know, a, a certain amount of realism that gives you this feeling of how ships would have uh, behaved in real life.
3: With respect to carriers, do you get to follow the aviators along on their mission as well, and you can see the battle scenarios that they're involved with from the aerial view?
2: Yeah, so we, the same applies to carriers. We didn't want it to be like you're in control of a carrier and your planes are kind of your projectiles. You, you like, let them fly and they fly off and you don't ever see them again. That's not what we wanted. We wanted to have the same type of experience that people are used are used to seeing in other media. So if you think of movies like Midway, for example, came out in the last year, right? When you decide to launch a squadron of planes, you get control over that squadron of planes and you fly it around in formation. You would dive, bombing run, or a torpedo run against the target and you see their AA kind of exploding all around you. And You get to navigate around that. And that makes it such an engaging and, and cool experience.
3: Oh, that sounds so cool. Now, again, I'm a video game novice, and uh, this doesn't require any specific gaming system. You download Wargaming's World of Warships onto your computer, and uh, as such, you play it over the internet. You know, it's broken up into regions. We mostly play in the Americas, but I know you can play in South America. You can play in Europe. You can play in Asia. Now, can we set up ourselves, if we wanted to, and engage with a Russian group? Could we play against our Russian Friends and sometimes adversaries.
2: <laughs> yes, of course you can. Like, there's nothing stopping you from just uh, making an account on their server and logging in. As I said, it's just a question of, of how good the connection is. Right. But that being said, our game is, is also very, very, not very, but, but relatively slow in terms of uh, pacing, in terms of how uh, fast things happen and how reliant it is on you making uh, really fast moves with your mouse and your uh, and making uh, many many clicks per second and so it's quite forgiving if you have a slower connection uh, more forgiving than other games like Call of Duty, for example
3: sure the game is world of warships where do i find the game and how can i download it
2: so if you want to if you want to relive really naval combat of the first half of the 20th century it's world of i'm psyched
3: i'm going to get good at this and uh i'm going to free the world that's it i'm going to go back to world war ii and i'm going to free the world Help. <laughs> I appreciate you, Archer. Thank you so much.
2: That sounds good. Thanks for having me.
3: And that's where we'll say game over. And until we play again, you can find this episode as well as all the other ones at ConnectingVets.com. I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs, and I'll be back again next week with more great stories of great American veterans. Right here on CBS Ion Veterans.
0: Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most-watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing.